I'm sitting there in the car reading this text. I have a breast pump and a diaper bag on my passenger seat. I have gifts for a newborn to return in the backseat of the car. I have a client contract on my lap because um, at this point I was a consultant. I just had started my own business. I had left the traditional workforce because I already had opted out because mm-hmm. it was too overwhelming for me. Um, I have a client contract on my lap. I have a pen in between my legs um, as I'm driving that's sort of stabbing me in the vagina every time I break. <laughs> Welcome back to Working Wife, Happy Life. I am your host, Bethany Baines. It has been an incredible week. Many of you know that I was honored to speak at the New York City Women's March on Saturday which was such an incredible experience and such amazing energy and commitment and community and did not activate the typical crowd anxiety that I get, uh, I think mostly because of, of the mission and the sentiment of it. So just still riding that high, which is so fantastic. And it was freezing for those of us that were there in New York. Uh, our toes were numb. The snow was falling, uh, but that did not stop us. So... Um, today's guest, we have the very funny, very compassionate, and very matter-of-fact Evrodsky. She is here to discuss her runaway success New York Times best-selling book, Fair Play, which also happens to be a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. Um, but for those of you that aren't familiar with this work, it's really a labor of love uh, aimed to systematize and gamify the labor that goes into running a household and it's it's a book and there's cards that go along with it so you'll hear more context about that from her Uh, but honestly the minute you start reading this book you breathe a sigh of relief and just feel like ah yes that's me Uh, so I met Eve toward the middle of her journey even though I think she's just begun and the beginning of mine with the breadwinning women's community at Google And she's just one of those people where you meet and you instantly get one another. Um, So we, I just feel very connected to her. Uh, We both talk like truck drivers, so there's lots of F-bombs in your near future. Um, And it runs a little bit long, but there wasn't anything we thought that we could trim out. Um, It's really, everything is just such a gem. So this is also, excitingly, our first episode in our new home, newsstand studios at Rockefeller Center. Um, The team there has just been tremendous partners with us uh, since the beginning, and we thank them so much for their continued support and super cool, super unique space of a 1940s newsstand that's been retrofitted. Um, So as such, there is some ambient noise. There's a couple walkie-talkies in the background. At some point, this little punk kid opened the door to the studio and then slammed it shut. Uh, But, you know, what are you going to do? It's New York City. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Eve. I'm so psyched to have you here. First of all, we are doing our first episode ever in the newsstand. Um, And it is such a unique space. It's a totally retrofitted 1940s newsstand in Rockefeller Center, which is amazing. And I can't think of a better guest to have here as you're thinking about reinventing and (laughs) retrofitting like the household roles and how how we think about um, a lot of assumptions we've made for our roles as adults. Um, So I have Eve Rodsky here with me, um, who has written this incredible book that has been so 
well received. And I, I knew from the moment I read that first article about you that this was really going to hit a chord as it did with me with so many other people, men and women. Um, so first off, just thank you for being here and huge, huge, huge congratulations. Well, thank you. You're, um, you're what I call a spiritual friend, mm. um, someone who supports you and sort of wakes you up on your journey. And it doesn't have to be someone you know that long, but yeah. you were an early supporter. And I remember getting an email from you, Bethany, um, just on like info at Eve Rodsky, you know, from a fast company article almost a year ago. Yeah. And it just was, it felt so validating to have uh, someone reach out to see that they had read the fast company article that it, the book hadn't come out. Cause there's a lot of fear when you're a first time author before releasing any of your work, especially a private work where you're going to be telling your own story and yeah. you've done a lot of research. Um, so getting that early validation was really key from a couple people. And I think of you always in that group. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. I, I remember cold emailing you. Somebody <laughs> had sent me the article and I was like, I need to know this person. It was and so it, cool. It was so stalkerish, but. And then we um, had that, con we had a conversation on the phone and I just felt like we sort of instantly hit it off. And it's fun to find people. The most beautiful part, I think, of t getting the courage to um, write a book yeah. And to spend all that time doing it is is actually the journey. I mean, yeah. the process of the book and, of course, the creative output is amazing. But the journey and the people you meet, it's hard to even put in words how priceless it is yeah. in terms of affecting your own personal life and also sort of your growth and your path forward is just this – it's been this amazing journey. I can't even – and I love that you use the word courage because yes. there's there's a part of me and, – and I'm curious if you felt this on your journey – any projects that I'm doing where you have that moment, like, why am I the person to do it? Correct. And and some of it is in this way of like, why can't I just be the person that goes to work and comes home and eats my dinner and watches my TV <laughs> and goes to sleep? Like, how, what is that like? That's amazing. Um, but then you get those moments of doubt, like, is my message really that important? Is my story really that interesting? Like, of was course. that part? It, it's all part of building up to that. There's so much doubt, and I think uh, I talk about that actually in Fair Play about this idea of our right to be interesting mm -hmm. in midlife as women. And I think the problem with uh, already needing the courage um, and all those questions, if you were to say like a male, a white male author, but if you have, um, you know, these other things that are not maybe not going for you in my case, um, my gender and my in my stage of life, right where. I've had my kids and sort of I'm supposed to be done with my milestones. Like yeah. I'm done with you, middle-aged, yeah. you know, 43-year-old woman. Like we don't want to hear from you anymore. Like why are you rearing yeah. your ugly head to try to tell us your story? And I think so I'm coming from like a real place of disadvantage in my mind thinking, well, there's not really permission in society for me to be interesting already um, because I'm really supposed to be just hashtag um, you know, Taylor's mom or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, you, you actually lose your, your actual your physical identity. identity, right? Like so. you're no longer Eve, you're Taylor's mom. Right, yeah. exactly. So my own, my real son's name, hashtag Ben's mom. So I'm, if I'm hashtag Ben's mom, I don't even have like a name to put on a book. Right. So I felt like I was coming from that type of disadvantage. And so yeah. to reclaim your identity first, and then not on top of that to say, I'm going to reclaim my identity and to be a less gray version of myself and then try to take it to the next level of saying, I'm going to put that down on paper. Yeah. Um, and then for the try world to, to see. <laughs> for the world to see. Yeah. And then bring other people's stories into it as well and make sure you have a responsibility to tell those stories accurately and with compassion yeah. um, and to do those interviews with accuracy and compassion because I'm talking about people's relationships and their, their roles in their home.
That was interesting. I was going to say, because I struggle with this too, where you are hearing, when you hear stories, you're hearing one side of those. Um, But your book is very much about the partnership. And, you know, when when, when you're relaying the stories that you've heard as a writing exercise, making sure that you're getting the right amount of each person's perspective without kind of warping the, the truth of what happened, right? Because there's two sides of every story. Correct, correct. Did you do a lot of the interviews together or separately? Like, how did you piece that together? That's a good question. So Fair Play is really right about this idea that um, it's time to bring 21st century solutions to this age-old problem of women doing two-thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family, um, mm-hmm. even when we work outside the home. That yep. statistic has been very flat, and it's actually, um, there's a lot of cost to our economic participation. But I think in terms of storytelling, it's really is told from the story, the perspective of women. And I think that was that was done very, not I think, I know that was done very intentionally because I did it intentionally. Because back to putting women at the center of the story, I thought was really important. And I did, and I did think it was really important to hear women's voices, but I didn't want to ignore men. And what I yeah. saw was happening um, as I was reading sort of, you know, book after book on the gender division of labor, what I did realize was that a lot of the statistics, a lot of the studies, a lot of the perspectives were just one gender. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, women. Right. Um, and I thought it was really important to hear men's side of the story. Yeah. So a lot of it was really g- gathering uh, men and doing uh, interviews alone. I actually very rarely interviewed people together. That's smart. I mean, it's, but then the, as the creator, the onus is on you to represent that fairly. It's, maybe it's easier because you're a third party. You don't have the emotional hangups that each part of the the relationship would have. But, um, you know, after 16 years of marriage, I feel like we always, we <laughs> count things and we're like, that didn't happen that way. You know, well, it's like, no, it is for sure. It's different perspectives. But I think what I was really searching for was patterns. Mm. And so that was the beauty. Um, I started with my first moleskin. And so what I'll tell anybody of your listeners out there, right, is just, um, if you don't feel, uh, you know, if we get that feeling that we were talking about before of like, why should it be you? Um, or is my story important? You know, I just, you just start. Yeah. Um, I think there's something really powerful with just starting whatever journey you need to start or whatever thing you want to start. So I always do it with moleskins. I love, I love going to the moleskin store or to Barnes and Nobles and picking out my new color for what I want to do and say it's male interviews I want to go into or I wanted to mirror the U.S. Census. So I was very intentional about how I found different uh, groups to interview, whether it was through Friends of Friends or through Facebook or through Instagram or through direct message or through some nonprofit organizations that um, I work with in my day job. Um, so I had a moleskin for all of those. So you had literally a separate moleskin yes. for each for initiative. Like each, you were each cohort, I had a separate moleskin for each cohort, a separate, and then it just and per year they just sort of get it got bigger and bigger. But what was beautiful about having it written down for me, and um, my mother is a she has a PhD in sociology. She's a professor of social work. Um, I'm trained in economics and anthropology and law. But um, the beauty of anthropology and of sociology, right, is is it it's not an economics, you know, so I always had to push myself because I'm like, oh, this doesn't have to be quantitative. Yeah. But I was looking for these qualitative patterns. So when I'd see, um, I'll give you an example on guilt and shame. Yep. So one of my favorite things to do is ask open-ended questions. So I went out and I asked men an open-ended question. Um, and I, I, I intentionally asked men who are more in the professional classes this question because they would be more likely to travel for work. Yep. So I asked them, you know, if you 
get fogged in an SFO and you told your wife and kids you'd be home for dinner, um, you put your kids to bed that night, you've been traveling for a while, do you feel guilt and shame? And so I love asking very open-ended questions. So I'd, you know, write that down. And what I was expecting from, say, the first time I asked a man that question, um, I expected maybe the answer to like ham and ha or no. What I didn't expect is for the person I was asking the man to not understand the question. To be like, what? So what I'll the, give you an example. Right, mean? exactly. So it would be, they, <laughs> you know, it would be an interview like, do you feel guilt and shame? And then uh, the man would say back to me, because my wife's going to be mad at me. And I'd say, no, no, do you feel guilt and shame? And I wouldn't, you know, give him a talk. I just kept saying like the word, well, because my daughter or son is, sad that I'm not there. I'm like, no, no. Do you feel guilt and shame? Do you feel guilt and shame? Inside you. So I wish I could take your listeners with me on that journey of, so that was a pattern, a pattern of not understanding the question when I asked that guilt and shame question. And that was really powerful to me because it was eye-opening to watch half the population um, not have something that felt so intrinsic to what was how I felt as a human being since right. the day I was born. I like, felt like so I was poor. born with guilt and shame tattooed on my ass, right? Yeah. So it was interesting. And so things like that, that journey of being able to uncover patterns and write that down and be like, didn't understand the question, didn't understand the question. And then when sort of it got and to a critical mass yeah. coming off the page, I said, wow, you know, there's something here. There's a very big difference with how women and men, you know, experience guilt and shame see guilt and shame, yeah. um, whether it's maybe men have guilt in other places I didn't ask, but especially with home life. Yeah. Um, I think guilt and shame is really reserved for, for women, especially. Yeah. And then, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm talking cisgender heterosexual here because this is the gender division of labor. Right. So I am talking him and her, yep. but it doesn't mean that fair play and the solution and my interviews did not include same sex couples because it did. I have a very robust, um, interview set of of same-sex couples. Yeah. And I think that's, so what's amazing to me is there's, there's the sociological aspect of it, of how boys and girls are raised. And like you're saying, you feel like you were born with guilt and shame. And I, you reminded me of a story when my son was probably about four or five and we lived in a two bedroom apartment and his bedroom was just right outside the living room. And one morning he said, you know, mommy, I could hear you and daddy arguing last night. And I, I crouched down. And I said, oh, baby, how did that make you feel? You know, arguing is a very natural part of a relationship. And, and do you want to talk about it? And he's like, no, I just wanted you to be quiet so I could go to sleep. <laughs> and I was like, and here we have how boys interpret this. I'm like saving up for therapy for him. <laughs> and so we, we have these things that are very intrinsic to who we are in terms of gender norms. But what your book touches on is kind of all the different parts that go into making a life work. And it's not just the household. It's everything that happens extracurricularly. It's everything that happens within the schools. It's everything that happens within your families and social engagements. And how do we divide that? And if you're going to have a partnership at any stage in your life, regardless of gender or non-binary you know, yes, associations, yes. you're going to have to have this conversation at some point to not approach a, a space of resentment. Correct. And, and and to understand, I think one thing that I really took away is not only the resentment of what you're lifting or what one person is doing versus the other, but also you get to know each other so much better because you understand what the other person values and yes. uncover why they value that. 
Um, do you, can you share? You have a great story about uh, the garbage. Oh, yes, yes. I know you yes, shared, no, but it's no, so powerful. I actually have not. I don't think I've actually shared that on a podcast before, so it'll be interesting. But I think breaking really, news. Yes, it was the core. <laughs> it's the core of uh, the fair play system. And I'll explain what I mean. What I mean is that I'm asking couples to re-examine how we treat the home, to treat our home as our most important organization. Mm -hmm. I like to say even my Aunt Marion's Mahjong group has more clearly defined expectations <laughs> than the home. You don't bring snack twice, you're kicked out. Um, so yeah, I'd rather be part of her Mahjong group than in any like relationship in this country where we're all just trying to figure things out on the fly. And yeah. it's very stressful to do that. Who's doing this? Why didn't you do that? Wait, who's taking the, you know, it's just, it's that, it's it's why I think there's a new study that came out that most people are, they're most miserable at 47.8 years old. Oh, shit. Um, so I'm not going to let people get there because it yeah. doesn't have to be that way. And I think mm -hmm. part of it is you systematize the home and that sounds very overwhelming and very corporate speak. So what do I mean by that? All I mean is to have new conversations about garbage mm -hmm. where you're asking different questions. So instead of saying, I need you to take out the garbage or why the fuck didn't you take out the garbage? Right. Which is more like it's it. Like how I, that's me. That's my, how it really my nails is, yeah. on the chalkboard, um, as Seth calls me, or used to call me pre-fair play, my husband. <laughs> um, what happens is you are doing two steps. So step one is you're owning your shit like you, mm -hmm. you do at work. That There's only two things that you need for fair play to work. Um, you own your shit. So when you say you're going to do something, you you own it. You, you do holiday cards. You don't just select the picture and just say, hey, honey, can you come see what the formatting is here and can you send it out or stamp it? No, no, no. Yeah. There's no such thing as we're redefining teamwork here. We are redefining teamwork. I'll say that three times. We're redefining teamwork. <laughs> it doesn't mean we're stepping on each other's toes. It means we're working within a greater organization and we're owning our shit within the organization, just like the most successful companies do that. Mm -hmm. Context, not control for the full ownership. So you do that. You're owning your shit. So Seth understood that because I was playing with organizational management um, as I was developing the fair play system. And that's what you do professionally, I do right? this professionally. Okay. Um, I work, my specialty is organizational management and project management and um, values-based mediation for highly complex family foundations and family businesses. So are you one of those people that I open up your junk drawer and it's like super organized? Correct. Oh my gosh. Yes, okay. Yes. Go on. Uh, well, I, I like to, I have a process drawer. So it's all systems, You right? have a process yeah, drawer? Yeah, because you, you process things. It's too overwhelming to like just put things away. So you have to be able to have a place to Oh, it's like first. a purgatory Yeah, drawer? you purgatory. Yeah, and then you purgatory <laughs> it, and then you process it. But that way it goes away. We can That's talk every all about it. drawer in my house. Yes, exactly. But, you know, you – it's um, and I, I try to live by the minimalist behaviors of like – well, I, I, and this, I'll tell you why, right? And this is what gets down to garbage. Mm -hmm. Why do I live like that? And why do I fucking hate garbage? So we'll talk about that. So Seth understood this idea as I was playing around with this idea that when you hold a fair play card – you know, the, the fair play system is based on this figurative hundred card game. Mm -hmm. And the cards represent every single thing you need to run a home and family. So one of the cards is garbage. Yep. That has to be done. It's a domestic chore. Every I call it a daily, a daily grind. <laughs> it sure is. And um, so, again, when we were playing with the system, when I was bringing my, uh, when I was becoming my own client and bringing this mediation, this, this, a conception, planning, execution, owning your shit to the home. Seth understood that. He said, okay, I got it. If you want me to own garbage, I know I have to put the bag back in. I know I have to get it out before trash day. I got it. 
I never so, put the bag back right, in. Right. Okay. That is. <laughs> we, we I mean, really. I mean, no, no, because then you're. But can we be friends? Still? We can be friends. Yes, but just the, the respect of the full ownership. That's true. Or, or else, and just redeal the card to me. Okay. I would have you do other things. I'd have you do maybe school forms or something like that. I'm good I'll, at forms. Yeah, yeah. So I'll take garbage back. So that's a, that's how it works. You just redeal. You redeal on your skill sets and doesn't okay. have to. You know, it's not a life sentence. Um, so. For Seth, I said, take garbage for a while. Um, you'll own it. So he understood that that part. So this is about three years ago as I was developing the fair play system. So what happened was I was still – I ended up still stalking him over garbage. I was his garbage shadow, especially on the weekends. So he would be in the kitchen and I'd see that garbage can sort of overflowing or getting harder no. to sort of push in because it's sort of in a yeah. drawer, you know, like a, one of those lighting door yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I sort like of like panic. Yeah, yeah. Out. I was sort of like my heart would start pounding and racing. And I would just start staring at him. And then sometimes I would even open the door underneath the sink. You know how those doors open up, right? Because Seth is really tall. And so I figured, well, maybe if he like falls <laughs> over the open door, he'll just get the so, garbage liner so out and take aggressive. it out. Right? So <laughs> passive aggressive. And this is somebody, I'm a Harvard trained mediator. I'm literally trained to use my voice yeah. and I'm trained to teach families to use their voice. So I'm thinking if I'm- But your if, own home is correct, totally different. Correct. And also I will say that communicating about the home, what I found in my 500 plus interviews that I was telling you about before um, that mirrored the U.S. Census, including um, using my own my own life as an interview- um, it's very hard to communicate about the home mm -hmm. um, without some tools. And that's what Fair Play really is. It's a yeah. toolkit to to rediscover the home and make it way more efficient so you get time back for you. But it requires a new language. So this is sort of as we're playing this out. And I'm understanding that I want to do things differently in the home. So I start stalking Seth about garbage. I'm very passive-aggressive. Um, and he looks at me and he just slams the door under the sink one day and he's like, I'm done. I, I know what you're doing. Like, I'm not doing this garbage <laughs> thing. It's just, I, I don't know what's going on. So I realized, I realized that organizational management only gets you so far. So what I decided to do was become my own client for real. And what I've done for a decade is build complex family systems based on shared values. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is I ask my clients when they're dealing with a very complex family foundation decision or a family business decision, especially around succession, which people never understood. But thank God for that HBO show Succession because now everybody – I haven't watched it. I haven't either um, except for a couple episodes. But, um, but I will say that um, I'm really happy that it exists because now it's very easy to explain what I do. Right. They understand it. Yeah. That's sort of the families I work for. I think they have advisors that are sort of my role in this show. So, yeah. So that's what we're doing um, with families that are, you know, feuding so badly when I meet them. You know, dad is storming out of the room every time mm -hmm. son speaks in a meeting to the point where I'm getting families to talk with grace and humor and generosity over three generations around a table about very complex issues. Mm. But we do it because we're building systems based on our values, based on our shared why. What is your why? Right. And there's not always a shared why. It's my why and your why and how do we come up with um, a media, um, you know, sort of middle ground for where we're going to get. And I'll explain. So Seth is um, upset with me about garbage because he was going to own it, but then I couldn't let it go. And I think a lot of women we struggle with that, right? This idea, yeah. well, how am I going to give up control? How am I going to get trust back? That I want you to I do it, over? but do it my way. Exactly. Do it my way or mm -hmm. is it really going to get done? There's all that stuff that's sort of preventing us from um, having different types of conversations about the home. And so a lot of women will say to me, almost every woman 
really almost every woman in my 500 plus interviews with men and women, the women were saying to me, you know, instead of talking about the domestic home, like I'd rather just do it myself because in the mm-hmm. time it takes me to tell them what to do, I might as well do it myself. Well, yep. that's a terrible argument. We can talk about that later. Um, so Seth, garbage, ready to take on this task. I feel like I'm undermining things. And so I take a step back and I say, I'm missing what I've been doing for a decade. I've missed bringing this idea of what is your why into the home. Mm. So I sat down with Seth one day and I said to him, okay, I'm sorry that I've been stalking you over garbage. I know that that caused you know, a little <laughs> bit of incident. I tried to kill you with yeah, the drawer. Yeah, with the door, door <laughs> opening and you fell over it. And yeah, it was like a whole thing. And so I'm sorry that that happened. But what you don't know about me, even though we've been together for, let's see, at that point, you know, 13 years, what you don't know about me is that, yes, you knew I grew up in a messy household. Yes, you knew, you know, my mom is sort of, you know, d- never gave us tra- uh, luggage. We just had trash bags that we carried along because she didn't <laughs> believe in in possessions that way. But what you don't know, Seth, is she also didn't believe in a garbage can. Mm-hmm. And so um, in our very single mom, latchkey, um, Lower East Side, Avenue C and 14th Street home in the 80s and 90s, we would just have a plastic bag that sat on a knob in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And trash would spill out every single night. And what happens in New York City in the 1980s when trash spills out is you get cockroaches and water bugs, Ugh. lots of them, and meal bugs in your Rice Krispies. Where and almost take a cockroach over a water bug. Yeah. I cannot yeah. stand water bugs. They, and they came out of the sink, Ugh. and they were all over the floor. And um, even one, my mom tried to convince me one time we were that she had put Rice Krispies in this in the box, but it was really Coca Crisp. I mean. She'd put Cocoa Krispies in the box, but it was really Rice Krispies with those meal bugs. So, oh. so just try, not to give feed me, oh, okay. but just to like throw it out so I wasn't freaked out. Like, but should I was we like, call I, somebody? Yes, I was like, I know what that is, mom. Those are freaking bugs. So oh. I, what I said to Seth is my why, why I care about garbage so much is because I feel like I'm seven years old again. Mm. Why is my heart pounding when I see a, mm. just one, you know, like you said, banana peel coming out of the garbage because I feel like I'm seven years old again. I have no control over my life. Yeah, I'm in a home where I don't know when you're coming home, mom. I don't know who's feeding me. Um, I don't know how there's going to be less chaos in my life. And that's what's happening to me when I see garbage. It's a trigger. Yeah. It was a real trigger. And I think being able to be vulnerable with Seth and be able to say to him why this matters to me so much was very... Um, it was cathartic for me. And yeah. I mean, like, I think I even cried a little bit. You sure. know, I was feeling very overwhelmed and emotional about it. And then he was able to chime in and say, I totally get where you're coming from. But I come from a totally different perspective. I'm not triggered by garbage. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't have to even invest in a pillow because I slept on Domino's pizza boxes in my fraternity. Like <laughs> garbage, like saved me from having to buy a pillow. Like I, I like garbage. Like garbage doesn't bother me the same right. way it bothers you. Right. So what happens when you are at such different places about something that has to get done every day? Right. Well, that can lead to one way. It can lead to that being multiplied by 100 cards where you're going to end up what I, as I, what I call your resentometer. Yes. Number 10, where yes. you're like ding, ding, dinging. And then 25% of divorces are ending over the unfairness of domestic labor. Right. Uh. Do we want to go there? It or, doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Or do you want to go to a place where you can resolve that? Yeah. And, but it takes work. It takes work to resolve it. And the work it takes is 
for you to understand you're coming from different places. And I talk about this in Fair Play. We use a concept of the minimum standard of care mm-hmm. in our uh, tort system, our legal system. Judges use it every day. In our medical system, we're looking at minimum standards of care and care thresholds. This is a concept that works. And so when you can come up with a minimum standard of care, it takes a little bit of time to have these new conversations over garbage. But what it does is it alleviates you from having them in the future. Right. So any behavioral economist will say, invest now, have those conversations now. If it gets you out of having to take out garbage every single day for the rest of your life. Right. And so our minimum standard of care, Seth said to me, what's reasonable to me is to take garbage out once a day. And I'll put it in my work calendar like it's an appointment when mm-hmm. I get home as long as you never fucking mention the word garbage ever again <laughs> so three Seth years should ago, not listen to this podcast yes, well right he can listen to it from a retrospective perspective yes, but I'm yes. not nagging you over garbage anymore Seth and I will say thank you thank you Seth for starting to take out the garbage because it was like a miracle yeah it was like a miracle there were no more reminders yep things started happening um garbage just started going out it was such a mental relief for me and that's just one uh, one card right, right. Change, change started from one card we modeled how to have a conversation over one card right the beauty of that was then we went to say extracurricular sports and we started to have conversations of what that means to own it right and then we would go to the next school forms and we'd have conversations about what that, that means to own it yeah. to have a minimum standard of care and then slowly we get into a rhythm now we're three years later of playing this fair play system um, our, we have a weekly check-in that's about 20 minutes to just say what's coming up that week. But we know each other's minimum standards so well. We know what we have to get done. Right. doesn't mean we're not having, you know, things, you know, go awry. Right. But it just means that we're not making those fucking mi- micro decisions where you're getting decision fatigue every day. Right. Because we've had the hard discussions first. Like, you know what your normal is. Exactly. So when, I mean, obviously with all of your success, you've been traveling a lot and I'm sure he's taking on more and people are pitching in. And so it's like, okay, but you know where your steady balance is. So when it goes off the rails, you're very appreciative of each other because you've seen what it looks like to take that on. And these are things I I would imagine that when, you know, when you said that stat, 25% of marriages, it doesn't surprise me, but it's alarming. Right, like this, and it actually could be more. I think it yeah. could be more because well, that it's doesn't self-reported too. It's I'm self-reported, sure. and it also doesn't take into account affairs. And I yeah. will say that um, people were very candid with me. I will say about their home life when I was able to speak to them alone. Yeah, and um, I haven't fully um, dived into three women yet, but supposedly someone oh, told I me that there's that a book. story um, so good, very similar to some things that I found in my book, which I call "Unicorn Space Gone Wild." Right, mm-hmm. this idea of what happens to you when sort of you lose your identity in a marriage and um, you are tasked with, you know, being a woman in sort of midlife and all the domestic work and we sort of become invisible along with our invisible work. But um, yeah, I was just talking to somebody recently about that book and that there's a theme around that because there's themes that I see a lot around sort of women and men seeking out ex-boyfriends on Facebook or... Um, LinkedIn or feeling nostalgic for something past because um, they identified themselves at that yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah. And now it's sort of just this resentment, especially around unfairness in the home. And mm-hmm. it's it's it sucks. We don't want to get there in midlife. And I really, really, really hope 
that um, people listen here today yeah. so that they know that they're you don't it doesn't you don't have to live that way you don't have to live in a place of sort of resentment and anger and frustration um, there's really a new path where men really are invited into their full power in the home yeah and that's what I keep seeing over and over again with people who are reading the book and playing this card game the fair play card game is that men are coming to the table in such beautiful ways that I did not expect. I, th- so I was going to mention that, too, because I'd imagine this starts off as a problem that women have, right? The men don't see it. They don't understand. And, and that actually Correct. breeds even more anger, right? What, how, how can you not see this? Um, we actually had, uh, I was doing a talk at Google, and your name came up because a woman stood up and said that she uh, had like a one-year-old um, and you know, there are certain things that she does better than her husband. And she said, for example, you know, I'm just better at making doctor's appointments. And I was like, can you stop right (laughs) Right, there? Like, I mean, I could see you being better at like wrapping presents or baking a souffle, but like a doctor's appointment is a very binary (laughs) outcome. (laughs) There's no way you're better (laughs) at that. And same uh, thing as taking out the trash. Yeah. Binary outcome either goes out or in. And and you know, Farnoosh, like Farnoosh and I just looked at each other and she's like, You've had Eve here, right? And I'm like, yes, I have a book for you because it's it's that assumption that because we do it on a certain timeline or because we do it, um, I don't know, maybe with a certain expediency or we fill out the forms perfectly that that we're doing it right. And like sometimes it just needs to be done. Correct. And I find that, um, you know, when you were saying before, how do we get to women earlier in this? Because... I look at the breadwinning women's community that I've built where if I had a community like this when I was starting in this journey 10 years ago, I would have been able to say, oh, okay, here's some tools or it's going to be okay and this is how it can work out. And, you know, when I hear you saying that you're going to get into this place of resentment in my head, I'm thinking it's not if, it's when. And that's what we have to do. Yes, I just got chills. I got chills when you just said that because... I feel why you're such a spiritual friend is because I think it's so wonderful to meet you on this journey to say that I really do feel like we're doing this for the women 10 years younger than us, right? I'm 43. I'm doing, when I see someone who's 33 and about to get into their life, you know, family planning stages um, or women in their 20s, um, I just want them to have this crystal ball um, and these systems and habits set up so early yeah and i will be that person that annoying person that you when you see me coming you're like oh there's eve again talking about the gender division of labor but it is such a core thing to be able to want to bring up the people behind us yeah i think um and to do it better than we did it and i don't want people to have to feel like a gray version of themselves like i did or to be the book starts fair play starts with a you know this day that's burned on my brain right of a text sobbing on the side of the road from a text that Seth sent me. And the mm-hmm. text just said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And Bethany, you, know, you picture that scene. I'm sitting there in the car reading this text. I have a breast pump and a diaper bag on my passenger seat. I have gifts for a newborn to return in the backseat of the car. I have a client contract on my lap. Um, cause at this point I was a consultant. I just had started my own business. I'd left the traditional workforce cause I already had opted out because mm-hmm. it was too overwhelming for me. Um, I have a client contract on my lap. I have a pen 
in between my legs um, as I'm driving that's sort of stabbing me in the vagina every time I break. Um, and I can keep, you I, yeah, talk I keep, about yes. what the pen's for, yes. oh, for the contract? For the contract. Okay. And I, so I'm I marking up. I'm like, Jesus, no, nope, nope. And this stabs me back in the vagina. I'm like, fuck. Because right? I'm keep thinking if I put in the cup holder, the thing that rolls out. So I had this pen in between my legs. Um, I'm zooming to pick up Zach, who was three at the time, my older son, at his toddler transition program, which in America, because we value working families, lasts like seven minutes. Yes, thank you for that. Thank you, schools. <laughs> and so um, I'm zooming, and then I say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to be late to pick up Zach. I really did think I was going to get into a car accident. Um, the texting and driving wasn't enough, you know, and the and the marking up the contract. I figured the sobbing. With those, you know, the trio, the trifecta of the sobbing. Were you drinking And too? the stabbing me in the vagina <laughs> and the texting while driving was going to get me. So I pull over and I just start crying. Yeah. I start crying thinking, Jesus, um, back to the single mom thing. You know, I had grown up in a single mom household and uh, I vowed this wasn't going to happen to me. I yeah. vowed I was going to marry an equal partner. And... More importantly, how did this happen? How did I become the default, or as I call in fair play, the she-fault for every single household and domestic task, apparently even uh, being the fulfiller of my husband's Blueberry smoothie needs. needs. Yeah, his smoothie needs that morning. Yeah. Um, he was pissed. He didn't have a smoothie. So it was a very eye-opening moment. Thank God he sent me that text because it sent me down this journey yeah. of, of trying to understand what the, what the fuck was happening. Right. But back to what you were saying about women um, the when, so that was, I think what we're both doing here is saying it doesn't have to be a when, right? It can be an if, and hopefully it never will even have to be an if, right? If we tackle these things, yeah. But first, women, women, we have to do some work on ourselves. And I, I, I got into an argument with a friend who's a identifies as a you know left wing feminist, which I thought I was, by the way, but I guess I'm more like a Nora Ephron <laughs> feminist. Um, and she said, well, why are you putting the onus on women to have these conversations? Men should be having these conversations. So I said, okay. I said, they're not then, going to. Then, yeah, then, yeah. then you, you, you do that. <laughs> you do that. Yeah. But what I like to say is I quote Nora Ephron back to her and I said, you can be the victim of your own life or you can be your heroine. Mm -hmm. So there is beauty in taking agency in your own life. Oh, 100%. There is beauty in taking agency in your own life. It doesn't mean I'm asking women to solve the problem. Fair play is all about a joint solution privilege of having two people solve it together. But yes, the onus is on us to say we want change and we're not going to live this way. And we want support. And, and also like... There you know, we always talk about how I am the best at giving advice to other people. I'm terrible <laughs> at taking my own advice. I am my own worst advocate. Oh, my God. Lawyers are the worst. We're, I the, could we're lawyers are the worst that way. Negotiate we're... salary packages for anyone way better than myself. You know, it's just that's how we are. And it's the same in our homes. And I think a lot of us, you know, when I think back to myself 10 years ago um, and I think back when I, you know, first started being a breadwinning woman, woman I had a young child. Um, my husband was working at the time, so we were a dual-income household. He worked from home full-time. I was running out to work. I had my son at daycare right next to my office because I wanted to be able to get to him if anything should happen, but that meant that I was driving through the Holland Tunnel every morning and every evening with oh. my screaming toddler in the back throwing popcorn at me. And It's a really great way to start your work day. <laughs> right? Yes. And you're just like, and then you'd get into work and you have like graham crackers in your the cortisol. hair. cortisol. Like cortisol, yeah. you're just like shaking it off. It's like, I feel like there's an animal that shakes things. You're going to yes. have to shake all that off. Yes. And I just felt like I had, you know, A, no time, no outlet. 
And then my husband would say something like, you should get a hobby. (laughs) And it would infuriate me. But from him, it was coming from love. Like if I had said, I want to go, you know, I did end up taking up yoga. But if I wanted to go do anything at that point, that was his giving me permission to go. And I was hearing it as you're boring. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what? You're just taking this stuff too seriously. So Unless women are comfortable saying, I don't feel supported, I'm taking on too much, or, you know, also, I'm sorry, but that time in your life when your kids are that little and you're working full time and you're juggling all this other stuff, it's just fucking hard. It's It's going to get better, but there are those moments in life where, like, it feels you are stretched so thin and so thank when you for the reminder to take self-care, which is another thing a lot of my fucking things to do list, right? Yeah. That's one of my favorite memes. But I think without the context of domestic rebalance, right, without systematizing You're like where? the entire organization mm-hmm. of your home, I fucking hated that shit. Yeah. I hated find your passion and purpose. I hated this, um, you know, wellness stuff or like Instagram pictures of moms who are like, I'll take you, you know, here's how you do a headstand. I'm like, I'm not fucking doing a headstand. It felt dismissive. There's a pen stabbing me in the vagina. (laughs) I'm doing nothing. Yeah. And that's why I do, I, I, I think it's so important. I, in the fair play system, there is the happiness trio cards because 500 plus people, when I asked them what they would do with an extra hour of their day, identified three things. They identified adult friendships. Mm. They identified like having a beer with a friend. They identified self-care. Not like commodified wellness bullshit like right. CBD oil pedicures, but real we okay, I mean I'm Go okay. I'm okay. Yeah. But but real uh, nothing that you have to consume. I'll just say that. You know, real self-care. Right. Like walk on the beach with my dog. Um or um the hobby, like you said. Not right. I don't call it a hobby. I'm retiring that word, but I call it in the, my book Unicorn space, which is the scientific term is something called unimonic well-being, the permission to be you and sharing that with the world and some creative outlet that could be the volunteer firefighter, that could be the artist, that could be um, the yoga teacher. But those three things, unicorn space, self-care and adult friendships are very important. But without the context of domestic rebalance, Mm -hmm. there was no fucking way I was doing any of those. Right. Because, because I had no way to a, it's articulate one more thing them. On your plate. Yeah, there was another thing on my plate, or I felt like, oh, do I have to now be perfect, per, you know, perfect and interesting, right, and happy and be a great host and perfect body and so it was just it felt so overwhelming. So I think again, without the context of a domestic rebalance, where you can really regain and guard your time like diamonds, yeah, it wasn't going to happen. And that's what I wanted to say to your listeners that this was the main finding of fair play and why it couldn't be cards against humanity. I had this dream was I was playing the card game with Seth and all these beta testers couple. I actually made cards before they became uh, designed as beautifully as they are now. I had an old iteration for, for my beta testing couples. And I was like, well, this would be cool sitting on a target shelf next to cards against humanity. But the reason why it had to be a book was because there was too much work that women have to do on themselves. Not we're not shaming women to say you're the cause of the problem, but society does a, does work on us. Right. You're giving permission to focus on Let's you. focus on us and yeah. say f- we have to unpack some patriarchy layers. And I don't even yeah. I never use the word patriarchy in the in fair play. But really what it is, it's, it's it is patriarchy. Yeah. Um, and it's living in this capitalist system. There's a lot of, you know, reasons. I don't Try, I don't go into so many of the reasons. I give you a, a very big bibliography if you want to go into some of the systemic reasons about for why. But what has happened is that, um, and this was the main finding of my research, was that men, women, and society view men's time as finite, mm-hmm. like diamonds. And 
women's time is infinite like sand. Mm -hmm. So if you just have that assumption that women's time is infinite and men's time is finite to be guarded, and that's what society is doing, then of course women are going to internalize those messages. Of course. So there was not a woman out there who wasn't saying something to me that I call, I don't call, I, I call them toxic time messages where in some way, back to your woman in the audience that you're yeah. talking about at that one about I'm better at making doctor's appointments. We guard men's time. And this is what I mean. Women all over the country were saying things to me like, of course I pick up the extra slack. I'm the one who picks up the call from the pediatrician even if I'm at the office. I'm the one who makes school lunches because my husband makes more money than me. Well, we can't say that here, right? Right. But that was a big yeah, but one. But a lot of people will have that, yeah. They, they, so women would say that to me and- I'd say, okay, that's a losing argument right? because we know pay equity, even in the same job, you're going to be making less. So So that's going to just keep you down a bad path forever. So let's like throw that out with the bathwater. That's guarding men's time. Okay, next, um, women would say to me, well, I, of course I make the doctor's appointment because I'm just a better multitasker. I'm wired differently. Mm -hmm. Again, guarding why, you know, another excuse why men don't have to do it. Do domestic tasks. Okay, well... I went to the top neuroscientist, Bethany, in the world, in the world. Um, there is no evidence that women are better multitaskers, that we have better executive brain function than men. Been it's, told. And, and this was my favorite, my favorite, favorite, favorite off the record comment um, from this amazing older white male privileged neuroscientist that I love that I, I was like, I need to be able to quote you. But he's like, I have too many chairs under my name. So he's like, I don't want to be ta- caught cursing. But he's given me some other quotes. He said to me, imagine Eve, right, when I was asking him about, are women better multitaskers? Because a lot of women are telling me that they're wired differently to do yeah. all these domestic chores. He said, imagine Eve, we can convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. <laughs> How great for the other half of the population. Right, exactly. That was a mic drop for me. That actually changed my life. Mm-hmm. Even if I hadn't written the book, back to what we were saying about the journey, Yeah. meeting him and hearing that quote literally changed my life. It changed my entire perspective. And I said, wow, that's very, very powerful. And you are completely correct. So that was another way regarding men's time, this multitasking argument. Yeah. Then, as I said to you before, women were saying to me all over, well, in the time it takes me to tell them what to do, I might as well do it myself. Went to the top behavioral economists in the world. They said that's obviously a very... Very terrible argument for the long term. Right. Short term it works. But yeah, you just keep doing it. In the second day, you would see... Very terrible argument for the long term because then that means you're going to wipe asses and do dishes forever. Yeah. And then finally, even um, women and men in the same job. I actually tried to intentionally seek out men and women in the same job. So two like shipping as a su- couple, as a couple. So okay. for example, so some, sometimes it was like movie produce. There was two people, a man and a woman, who were married who shared a production company. Yeah. But it was also like two shipping supervisors at UPS, for example. Okay. They were they met on the job. They had the same job two shipping supervisors, or two colorectal surgeons okay. met in medical school. Okay. And still, still the women were saying Doing to more. me, um, my husband is, gets super overwhelmed, but I can find the time. Mm. And so I like to say, unless we're Albert Einstein and we can fuck with the space-time continuum, <laughs> where are we finding that time? Right. Or is it really about how we choose to use our time? Right. And is it just that women have less choice over how they use their time? And so that's the unpacking we need to do first to take un, take out these toxic time messages from our lives. Anytime we say them, say, okay, we need to unpack why we've said that, understand that those are wrong assumptions. Yep. And to say that my time, 
Eve, my time, my time is as valuable as Seth's time. Right. Regardless if he makes more money than me. Regardless if I think I'm a better multitasker. Regardless if I think right. it's easier to tell to not tell him what to do. No. My time is diamonds, Seth's time is diamonds. If we both just have 24 hours in the day, then there has to be a way to get a place where women have more choice over how they use their time. Right. And Otherwise, we're, we're literally going to die of fatigue. Right. Well, I mean, and some days I feel like that, too. You know, yeah. I just feel like it's so there's so much to do and so much to give in so many different places that then you get back to the shame and guilt. You yes, get that feeling yes. like I'm definitely letting somebody down somewhere. Yes, yes. And I've actually gotten to the stage at my 43 years where I just don't give a shit. Yes, <laughs> I'm like, I am letting somebody down and I just don't care anymore. Um, but it's, you know, you can't do that all the time in all the aspects of your life. You can do that a little bit spread around. But um, look, it's a really important message. I think we do get a lot of the societal push on what we should be doing and what seems like more gender biased work for the breadwinners that are listening. We There are studies that breadwinning women actually do more housework and, yes. and logistical upkeep. Yes. I just got chills because that there is the, there are those studies, yes. And, and I think that, you know, whether or not that's true for you, for those of you that it is true for, um, ask yourself, is that, is that part of something deeper in terms of trying to um, make up for something that both of you may feel like you should be doing versus the way your life really is. And that's finding beauty in what life has actually created for you and having the conversations that may seem laborious up front. I'm sure that 20 minutes you spent talking about garbage was not as long as it would take to actually take the garbage or was longer than it would take to take the garbage out. But you multiply that times 30 days in yes. a month and all of a sudden there you have your time back. My time so I know my back. math is a little iffy no, there. No, I like, no, that's good math. <laughs> but but I think, you know, and what, what I love about you too, Bethany, is that you come out of a company, right? I mean, we were talking where you already just, you automatically got systems, right? And you, um, I had this one systems engineer actually um, say to me, not at Google, but someone who's also, you know, a, sort of a systems engineer by by training, saying to me, he's read Fair Play, and he had this really beautiful quote about, I won't get it exactly right, but he was like, well, I think it's very interesting that we've been ignoring the home. Because he said, if I was going to be building an algorithm, I don't, again, I'm not a, I, back to your math, I'm, like, I'm definitely not a coder, so I don't exactly know what I'm saying. That's all right. And I, I want to go, Google, I still I don't know what go, you're saying. Yeah, I want to go back to him and exact what he was, what he exactly meant. But he was saying basically that if you're working on math or something, you would never ignore a, val- a variable mm-hmm. because that could lead to the wrong outcome, right? Mm. Or in math, right? If you're doing algebra, right? You're, you're like, oh, X times whatever. Well, you have to fill in X at some point, right? right. There, I mean, the variables are there for the equation for a reason. What, so what he was saying to me was, what if you actually had your home organization be synergistic with your work organization. What if when I was saying to him that we should treat our home like our most important organization, yeah. then you would build a very different equation than if you're ignoring the home at all. Right. And so what happens at workplaces now, and he was saying this as a manager, is that we ignore the home as a variable. We just assume that someone else has it. Yes. And he was saying to me how wrong that is. He got this aha moment from Fair Play, and I need to get a little bit better. I'm not so articulate. It was the first time I've ever said that in the air. No, but it's huge. It gave me chills. It was such a beautiful way of saying it. He was saying, like, that wouldn't work. It wouldn't work in math. It doesn't work in systems to ignore a variable that affects every single person. Right. For me to ignore the fact that you have children, for me to give anybody on my team guilt and shame if they have to leave the office at two to take your child 
to the pediatrician, right? right? Or for us to have to raise our hand if we have to take a piss. Right. Like, no, it starts with it, creating like, a work culture happens. Yeah. to say we are going to synergize. We're going to have a synergistic home organization and a work organization. And that looks very different than ignoring the home. Right. And, and, and that's just, what I'm hoping Fair Play can do. I'm going into corporations who say that. When good. we treat our home as our most important organization, part of what we can do in the workplace to alleviate us from all this patriarchal toxic time bullshit where we treat women's time like sand. There's three things, three things that I think we can do. And there's more, there's more, but for the corporate workplace especially. And I was talking to this, uh, about this with an amazing man who um, adopted Fair Play uh, about a year ago and he just got promoted to be the U.S. head of his multinational corporation. And I called him to... Um, I texted him and we got talking I, to congratulate him and I love his, him and his wife. And we started talking about fair play. And I said, well, what are you going to do for me now? You know that you're in such a position of power. And we got into this idea, it. right, of good negotiating. Good negotiating. <laughs> um, one was, you know, pay equity. Because if you really believe a woman's hour is as valuable as a man's hour, then you pay them the same, there's, right? right? There's, there's, just no, clearer no, there's way. no clearer way to show yeah. that you value women's time the same as men's time. So that he got that. Then we started talking about um, leave, paid mm -hmm. leave, and the difference now and from when he was a little bit younger to now even, and hopefully being more woke around this idea of how do you really encourage men to take paternity leave? Yes, I think we should force them. Yeah, well, that's women it. That's, don't yeah, have a exactly, choice. exactly. So I basically said um, a lot of it is about intent, not only really putting policies in place, but um, it's, it's modeling, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have to, I, I'm forcing you, Ed, you know, you're a little yes. older, but when you had your kids, I'm forcing whoever's under you to take their paternity leave, right. make them take it. Well, right? because think about the, the, so we have a very generous leave at Google and what we've found is, you know, obviously men are taking their leave. They're much more, um, you know, whatever, woke, if you want, coming back in yes. terms of what it takes to not only take care of that little child for so long, but also then to come back into work and what that emotional pull is when you have to come back into the workforce. But also, I think we're going to start to see a lot more men saying, you know, I'm okay with my career taking a backseat because this is where I should be. And that is, I think, really what we're seeing a ton of. And that is just so wonderful for society. And like you said, this generation that's coming yes. up, being raised in these households where they have the involved parents and they don't see certain things as a gendered role. And and and, and I don't want to take gender totally out of it because I think gender can be a really beautiful thing. But when it comes to the heavy lifting and it comes right, but to I'm the sorry, time. just because I have a vagina, I'm not better at making doctor's appointments. Right. <laughs> like it's right. literally not possible. <laughs> right. I'm just because I have a, I'm going to say that again. Just because I have a vagina does not mean I'm better at making doctor's appointments. Right. There is gen like there's gender, like you said, there's gender stuff elsewhere that could be beautiful, but not in that, in that way. Not in right? those things. Yes. And then the this is the thing about what you were saying before. If you're, if you're taking a, you know, a backseat, if you're a man and you're doing that and that's what you're doing during your paternity leave, right? You're saying, I'm willing to uh, take the step back, even just on my leave, right, um, the way women do. The beauty is then it becomes normalized. Right. Because what happens when women, quote unquote, take this backseat, right? Even if it's not even a backseat, even if it's just taking their fucking maternity leave. Right. What we end up seeing in science and the statistics is that women lose 
10, statistically, women lose 5 to 10% of their wages for every child that comes out of their vagina or is cut out of their stomach like mm-hmm. it was for me. Um, and or, or adopted. I mean, correct. it's any time you're adopted distracted when, when you are, when by you're a child. Care. And actually, I don't know if it, if it happens when uh, you go off to take care of a parent. I will look into that. That's but interesting. I, but I do know that the motherhood penalty is very, very strong. And actually, the uh, pay gap between mothers and non-mothers is actually even bigger than men and women. Oh, really? Yes. And so the way we can, in midlife, help women down that path is by normalizing care, mm-hmm. by valuing care. So I like to ask this open-ended question uh, to men and women separately because they're willing to be more honest. And I ask, is an hour holding your child's hand in the pediatrician's office as valuable to society as an hour in the boardroom? Mm. And until we actually believe, really believe our with our true core that the answer is yes, that mm-hmm. an hour holding your child's hand is as valuable to society as an hour in the boardroom, nothing's going to change. Right. Because then... Men won't do it. Right. So when we value that time, when we value care, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And so that is the beauty of taking agency in your own home. That's what fair play is about. It's about taking agency in your own home so that you and your partner both value care. So I'll tell you one quick story. Yeah. Then, um, I want to hear it. Yes. We um, are probably having to wrap up soon, but I'll just tell you a very quick story. This is to give you the backstory about my friend who I was talking to about paid leave and paternity leave yep. um, and a flexible workplace. His name is Ed, the one that who just got promoted. That also cannot be underestimated. I, absolutely. Flexibility well, is huge. Yes. And I say, you know, for, for him, I said to him, you want to help me um, create culture change? Don't make your workplace a culture where you have to raise your hand and take a piss. Mm-hmm. Don't make it a culture where you can't leave at 2 o'clock and have to sneak out. Right. Because in the Wall Street Journal... There was this beautiful column about uh, the, the, I forget her name. She's just ending her work-life balance column that started in the 80s. And she said that that was one of the things she always had to do, sneak out over care. And we should never have to do that. It should just be announced. It should be celebrated when you're going to your kids sing, when you're taking them to the doctor, when you get called. Um, And the the other thing I said to him, I said, the first thing I want you to ask all of your male employees is for them to become number one on the call list for for the school. Oh my God! Hallelujah! That's what I asked him to do. So I, so my kids just switched to school, um, and my husband filled out all the forms, and I said I don't don't even give the school my number, (laughs) like the school, and it seems like I'm a bad mom, but I'm like, I can't. They call me for this shit, and I'm I'm in Manhattan. He's a mile away from the school. And he knows whether or not my son is really sick or trying to get out of his chemistry exam. I don't know that stuff. That's back to the context. Yeah. I mean, I will say my friend, she just had, and then I'll finish how I got to Ed and why, how taking agency in his own home got him to really think about these external policies and how beautiful fair play can be when you do that. But I will tell one quick story of my friend who is a breadwinner. She's the breadwinner of the family. Um, And she... She, it was uh, a weekend. She decided to to take some of that self care, not the commodified wellness. She went to go on a hike and a hike in Runyon Canyon, um, and that's a little bit far from where uh, her in laws were taking care of her baby. Um, She's about eight months at the time. Her child. Well, um, the mom, the grandmother falls holding the baby, uh, hurts her knee. It's like a whole disaster. The fu- 
grandfather calls my friend in hiking, and she's about six, seven miles away. Um, and she's my friend says, well, where's your son? Like, why haven't you called your son? And he said, well, he's golfing, which was about 10 blocks from where the father-in-law was. And he said, well, he's golfing. and I'm not going to ruin his day. So back to women's time, right? Okay, so it's just like, and she's the breadwinner. So I'm like, you can't even make that argument God. that he like somehow makes more money. You know, it, I, whatever. Right. It, it should, it's, that's, that's the patriarchy for you. But so she just was laughing and she said, well, go get your son off the golf course. Good. So she, I was Good happy. She, I'm happy she stood up and still continued her hike and everything worked out. It was okay. But back to Ed. So, But Ed, she probably finished that hike with a lot of guilt she did and shame. Fin- she did finish the hike with guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think that I'm yep. glad you asked that question. She did. And I think that's why she told me that story. Yeah. Because she, she carried it with her. She, she, and she was seething and resentful. And she ended up crying on the hike. And it was, mm. there was a lot of emotions that came up um, from having to say no, for being assumed that she would be the one there, from her father-in-law guarding her husband's time. For her um, worrying, for her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law sure. like it was just the worth things. issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it's, there there's a lot, lot of in that yeah. one little phrase. Like that's, I think those are, you know, we talk a lot about microaggressions, but those are the things that become really defining moments to people. And they're, and, and to be fair to her father-in-law, like it was a different time. And that's why we do the work that we do because we're trying to make that yes. time yes. better for the generations behind us. But, you know, you, you get those comments and they just really, on the wrong day, they can really... They can hurt. Yeah. And, and the reason why I brought that up is also because of what you were saying about the schools. Mm-hmm. So when I see people playing fair play or when Seth and I play fair play, it's actually harder to get my friend's father-in-law, like as she's doing and trying to change her patterns in her house, it's actually almost harder to get her father-in-law and her mother-in-law involved the behaviors, and yeah. the schools involved, mm-hmm. right? Because we have institutional knowledge. We have patriarchy all around us. So that's why you sort of really have to start in your home and stay strong and firm. Um, and I'm, I'm so strong and firm now that the school, <laughs> ben, ben, I think it was Ben that ended up falling on his face in a dodgeball game or something and the school was so afraid to call me because they thought I'd be traveling <laughs> they're like don't they were like, oh, no. we called Seth five times and he didn't pick up I swear to god we called him five times but I just wanted to let you know Ben's okay I'm like well thank you for telling me that and yeah. I really appreciate you telling me you tried Seth five times first because that's what I've asked you to do yeah and he's holding yeah. the teacher communication card but you this, have to this week you have to teach them how you want to be treated yeah absolutely and then as more the more it becomes a cultural norm hopefully the less we'll have to do that right but we're we are on that forefront that precipice where we have to do that yep and so ed so i'll end with Ed. ed so ed is the kind of guy who said to me when I interviewed him first for Fair Play, that he's a CEO outside the home and his wife's a CEO inside the home. Mm -hmm. Like really throw up, like gendered language that I just don't like. Um, But he's a decent guy. So my friend Julie, she said to me that she was super overwhelmed. This was uh, Christmas of 2018. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd interviewed her for Fair Play. So she understood this idea around Fair Play, which is this, what is your why, as we just talked about, and your ownership of something. And so she wanted to try it um, around the holidays because her mother just entered the hospital for some sort of neurodegenerative, I don't know if that's how you say mm. it, um, illness. 
And she's doing everything else, you know, a lot of things for the holidays. She was booking their some trip that they were taking to see relatives, trying to decorate the Christmas tree, um, still do her part-time uh, consulting work, take her kids to school, make lunch, just, just over, you know, everything. more everything that just yeah. snowballs around the holidays. Yep. And so she said that she was at her breaking point. So I asked her, I said, well, what's breaking you? Let's just start with that. And so she tells me it's her... Second son Brody's second grade secret Santa project. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Tongue twister. And because it has to be done from scratch. Back yeah. to institutions that, you know, really help us around yes. the holidays. It has to be done from scratch. With, with organic with, Yeah, with organic <laughs> flour or whatever, you know. They have to grow 10 months in advance. Um, so she, she wants to have Ed help her with that. And so she said typically I would give him a list of everything he would need to Help me with the Secret Santa project. But I know fair play is not that. And, and if I want to try it, like I know I'm supposed to be giving him ownership. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, I'm asking you to hand over the homework, school supplies, and projects card for one assignment. Just one card out of the hundred in the deck for one assignment with full ownership. Yeah. And then she had all these reasons why she couldn't, right? That right. Ed would be too busy, that he wouldn't do it. That she'd have to remind him that it would be like a sock pup and it would suck. You know, just just race to the bottom. Right. And so I said, but you just told me you wanted to try this fair play. Right. So I need you to work with me here, Julie. So what I said to her is let's back up. So where do we start this podcast? We talked about what is your why. That fair play is asking to have new conversations, right, around things like garbage. So I'm asking her to have a new conversation over things like homework. Yeah. And projects. So I said, why do you care about this Secret Santa project? So she pauses and she says, well, I care because it's the signature project of second grade where um, they have a whole unit around materialism. Okay. And that opening a handmade gift from a friend should feel just as special as a $100 Nerf gun. So I said, that's "That's very impactful. Yeah. Okay. You didn't tell me that. Okay. I did not know Nerf guns cost $100. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I I don't believe we have an anti-gun policy in my house. um, So I don't know. But I think they are relatively expensive. Yeah. Uh, Maybe they're $30, $40. I don't know. Super. (laughs) I won't hold it to you. Um, we and, don't fact yes, check on we don't this fact podcast. Check now. Well, <laughs> that was um, that was a quote, so that's a hearsay from my perspective. Well, it was her $100 quote. Um, and then she says something even more impactful to me, which is that the little girl that Brody drew, you know, she's in charge of transport- transporting her kids to school. So she's there in the yard when she drops off Brody, um, who's in second grade. And she noticed that the little girl who he drew – Um, was new to the school that year. And Mm -hmm. what she notices about the little girl is that she just walks up and down the yard. Like she's not playing um, before they, she's waiting for the bell. And so she said, you know, how nice it would be for Brody to, for us to understand that it would be really, you know, go the extra mile for this little girl who's new to the school. Brody's popular, he's athletic, he's been there since he was in kindergarten. Make her something nice to welcome her to the school. Um, and foster some empathy because maybe Brody doesn't see that. Yeah. And so these were very powerful answers. Like important for lies. a yeah. damn, you know, right. school, you know, secret Santa project. And right. I like said, it's not just something on the list. No, it's, it was a really, but if you, everything, when you really just sit down, even garbage, like we right. said, it can be powerful. Right? right. And so I said, what if, just do me a favor, just say that to Ed when emotion 
is low and cognition is high. So not when he like rushes in, you know, whenever you're right. maybe at a dinner with alcohol or, you know, tomorrow morning before kids get up, whatever is a time when you just a set of quiet, just say those two things that, you know, this is something you'd like him to own. Um, there's a lot of other stuff that's on her plate for Christmas. And this is why. Mm-hmm. Not how, nothing, just how, why. So the beauty was I got to check in with them after the holidays. I'm so happy I did because um, I was interviewing a lot and I almost forgot to check in. But I got Ed. And he tells me that he began Googling secret Santa projects for little girls with his son Brody. Hmm. So that's in the Fair Play system in organizational management what we call the conception. Right. The full ownership. Takes conception planning to execution. And then he, they decide on a popsicle stick jewelry box. So they, they write down colored popsicle sticks, glitter, glue. Um, my favorite thing in the world was Ed gave me so many details. My CEO outside the home guy, he started getting really into the story and telling me that Brody even wanted a knob for the jewelry box because he didn't want the little girl to have to use two hands to open her jewelry box. He wanted her to be able to take out her jewelry and open the box at the same no, time. I don't so, think we have to worry about Brody with yes, empathy. I, said, right? I think so he's he, got he it. He wanted a knob. <laughs> and Ed's telling me this. So that is the planning. Yeah. He's doing the conception and planning. Yep. Um, not just getting a list to execute. And right. then he tells me that he discovered this really cool store called Michael's. And it's a really little easy. known store. Yeah, it's really, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to check that place out. A little mom awesome. and pop. Yeah, mom and pop place <laughs> where you can get everything. So it wasn't even that difficult because we just had to go to one place and pick up the stuff. But what was interesting was that Julie, who's not a hyperbolic person, said to me that her life changed in that moment or that day when we were talking to them in the interview after the holidays. And I said, well, what? 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 You're not hyperbolic. Like, you don't say these fantastical statements. What changed for you? And she said to me that when she got home from doing one of her 10,000 holiday errands, she saw Brody and Ed on the floor. And they were building this project, this popsicle stick jewelry box for this little girl. And she noticed out of the corner of her eye that Ed had glitter on his hands. And so I said to her, why was that so meaningful for you Mm -hmm. to see that? And she said, you know, it was the first time that I felt like he was truly in it with me. Mm. And because glitter gets everywhere and fucks up, you know, liter- like your literally house is on it. her and yeah. not him. Yeah. And so um, I started really thinking about that, um, about the beauty, right, of inviting men to step into their full power in the home so that we can step out right. of the, in, in, into the world and into our full, into women's full power. And I believe it starts with glitter. Mm-hmm. I believe that when you take agency in your own home, then it, it reverberates. And I know that because Ed, my most amazing case study that I said he has to out himself at some point um, because it's all positive now, all this amazing yeah. stuff I'm saying about him is that he's getting more, you know, he's gotten even more powerful in his job since I've known him. And um, and that's that was how, by doing that glitter box, by working on the value of care by sitting with his son Brody and realizing the meaning of what it felt like to own something in the home from start to finish and not just get a list from his wife where there was no context or no connection or no ownership. Right. Um, That beauty, that, that, that core fair play is now something that they're implementing in their home. And he doesn't hold a lot of cards still, right? but when he does hold them, he holds them them with ownership and, and with context and understands the importance of it. And not only that, but that's how we got to having that conversation when I called him to congratulate him on his promotion about the, the value of care. Yeah. And that's how we got to our three things around flexibility, 
uh, pay equity and paternity leave. And so and how beautiful amazing. is that? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Because that that is I mean, I, I love ending on a story with glitter because who yes, doesn't? Who doesn't? It's glitter. But it's a beautiful thing because those are moments that are actually really fun and really meaningful as a parent and as a child and to make it not a chore and make it something that's just a moment of like like that's actually self-care is to just be present with your kids and not let these moments pass and let Brody feel was it Brody or Brady? Yeah, Brody. Let Brody. Brody feel the importance of welcoming this girl in a place where she might not feel welcome. Um, it's just really, it's it's really a beautiful story that that much came out of one thing, one thing. that then results in the change for this family and this life. Who's for somebody who's now leading a company and can change the family and lives of others. I mean, this is it's I heroes believe work. It. I do believe it, and yeah. I believe it starts with glitter. Yeah. Everybody play, go into your homes, have these new conversations because it it is about ultimately how we connect is who we become. Yeah, That's what the research shows. And what are we doing? Why are we on this earth? We're on this earth where you're talking about breadwinning women. We're doing, we're, we're, you're making financial wealth for your family. You're helping, you're the leaders in your organizations often. Mm-hmm. You're creating better corporations. And ultimately this is to build better societies yep. for our children. And for the next generation. So we have to model this behavior that care matters. Mm-hmm. And then when we do, it reverberates in all different types of ways that we won't even know yet. Yeah, we won't even know. Well, I'm so thrilled to have had you oh, this here. Is so fun. I cannot wait to hear what you're doing next and have you back into the newsstand. And thank you so much for making time to be with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, it's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in for our conversation in newsstand studios at Rock Center. Lots more to come every Tuesday. So head on over to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Please feel free to leave us a review to give us some direct feedback and also to help get the podcast in front of more eyes and ears. We really appreciate your support. Until next time.